Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to Tennis Podcast Towers, where it's two minutes past midnight and we are all reeling from the fact that the defending champion and current world number one for another 48-ish hours is out. Carlos Alcaraz, beaten in four sets at the hands of 2021 US Open champion Daniel Medvedev. Who saw that coming? Well, I'm sure, I'm sure there are some people out there that did, but categorically... The tennis podcast did not. Can, can confirm. <laughs> Gee, that was some performance by by Daniel Medvedev. Is my my first takeaway. I mean, he, he was amazing. Um, I still thought Carlos Alcaraz would have won, but he didn't. Yeah, I mean, Matt and I have a certain amount of of shame and egg on face to deal with here. David, your predicted run of 12 Grand Slams for Carlos Alcaraz has ended, has fallen (laughs) at the first hurdle. Yeah, that's a bit of a shame, isn't it? So, you know, I mean, it'll just start in Australia, you see. It's just a new prediction. It's just a new 12. <laughs> I very much enjoyed your tweet immediately after the match saying, OK, next 11 then. <laughs> yeah. Matt, what do we have to say for ourselves? I have to say sorry to Daniil Medvedev. I feel like I've... It's an apology, uh, an episode at the moment. It really it? is. <laughs> I feel like I've overlooked him. Um, and I think mainly what I overlooked was this rivalry with Carlos Alcaraz having having watched their previous two matches this year you know with my own eyes on the court at, at Wimbledon and, and at Indian Wells it was so stark to me so clear to me that he had a Carlos Alcaraz problem and I just even with the US Open and I did say the other day you know the US Open feels like the best place for Medvedev to play Alcaraz because of how good he is on this court. And we know Indian Wells wasn't a proper hard court and Medvedev doesn't love grass, I don't think. And Alcaraz was great on that surface this year. So, you know, I felt like Medvedev would do better, but I totally did not see this coming at all. I really thought Alcaraz would would win in straight sets, as as I said yesterday, because of the matchup. And... For Medvedev to to solve that matchup problem took an extraordinary performance. I thought it would. I thought if he won, he might. We'd be talking about a really bad performance from Carlos Alcaraz, and I feel bad saying that. You know, Daniil Medvedev is a former number one. He's a Grand Slam champion. He's a great, great player. But I thought it would take a bad Alcaraz performance for Medvedev to beat him. And I look. I don't think it was peak Alcaraz tonight by any stretch of the imagination, but. He played some phenomenal tennis and Medvedev lived with him and stuck with him and was better than him. And um, hats off, Daniil, and sorry. (laughs) Yeah, that is the best performance I've ever seen from Daniil Medvedev, taking everything into consideration, the opponent, the crowd, um, everything that was going on there. I've never seen anything quite like that from him. It was absolute postage stamp tennis in terms of where he was placing those ground strokes I just there just wasn't even a question mark in my mind about whether he was going to miss 
or whether he was going to drop one short. And yet it wasn't just metronomic drilling deep. There was also angles in there. I don't know how he creates angles with his technique. I honestly don't. I don't know how he moves so well. I mean, I don't know how he moves so well full stop with that frame, but I don't know how he moves so well up to short balls and then once he's there manages to scoop underneath them and with his incredibly flat bunt somehow get the ball up and down over the net at an acute angle out of the incredible athlete Carlos Alcaraz's reach. I don't know how he does any of that. We've seen him do it before, but tonight he executed everything to absolute perfection. He was 12 out of 10 in his own words. He said, except for the third set, I was 12 out of 10. And I don't think it was a great Alcaraz tonight, honestly. I, I don't think it was awful. I don't think bad Alcaraz is the reason Daniel Medvedev won this match at all but I don't think it was particularly good Alcaraz I did I did have a feeling of oh, when when the ball it, there were periods of the match when the ball was going onto his forehand where I, I did have my heart in my mouth a little bit and the touch the touch came in and out throughout the match and I think I think the biggest surprise to me in terms of what the match looked like is how little a feature the drop shot was and I don't know how much that is about Alcaraz just not deploying it, whether he was afraid of how well Medvedev was moving tonight. He, he moved like a dream. The guy... The, I, is I an mean, octopus. The guy is <laughs> an octopus. Honestly, looking at the two of them on a tennis court, it looks like... You know the movie Twins? David will know the movie Twins. <laughs> of course. Matt probably doesn't. I've heard you two talk about the movie right. Twins before. It looks like Movies there's relived. some <laughs> sort of factory where they've got a load of perfect human genetic material together to create the perfect tennis player. And then there was a load left over that they just sort of scrambled in a frying pan <laughs> and out came Daniel Medvedev. That is what it looked like watching the two of them out there today. And yet... <laughs> I mean, it's 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 one of the beauties of the sport, isn't it? That it can take so many different shapes and sizes and physiques and heights. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing, I think. But <laughs> when you're looking at it, you, you, your eyes bug out of your head a little bit. It shouldn't, so much of Daniel Medvedev should not work. And yet, it does. Yeah, it is kind of joyful, really, to, to, to watch it. Um, I, I didn't see much of the first set because I was going into Ben Shelton and Novak Djokovic's press conference. Obviously, Novak Djokovic was half an hour late. So that was a, a bit of an ordeal to get in, to get actually to be able to see the Alcaraz Medvedev match. But the, there was a period when we were waiting for him because he was delayed, where I, I was in the, the media restaurant and Alcaraz had 15.40 on the Medvedev serve quite early on, sort of first half dozen games. I can't remember the exact game. And he just, he just sort of let them go. They just didn't... They, didn't, they came and went, and you, and you start to realise when we went back in the press conference, oh, the scores are close. It's 4-all. Oh, hold on. Alcaraz is a love 30 4-all. Oh, he served, he served that, that, that little bit of danger, and he he's gets himself into the tie-break, and then I was able to watch. And the tie-break was a mess, really. Um, and, and look, Medvedev, I don't want to take credit away from him because he was brilliant. That's the best I've seen him play since he won the title against Djokovic in straight sets. I mean, that, that was an awesome performance as well. Although Djokovic was well short that night, part of that was caused by Medvedev. Um, but Alcaraz was having to play his spellbinding stuff to turn it around even a little bit. And by then, he's two sets to love down. I mean, he was poor in the second set. Mm. Medvedev was brilliant, but the touch was gone in that second set. He couldn't rely on anything. Well, we've just had a look at the Alcaraz transcript from his press conference, and he said that he, quote, lost his mind in the second half of that tie break and had a hangover, basically, in the second set. And I think, I think that's true because, honestly, through that first set, I thought Alcaraz played really well. And I think it was maybe a bit shocking to him that, as you said, Medvedev was living with him. You know, Alcaraz was 
doing the things that traditionally work against Medvedev. And a lot of the time, they were working. He was so successful up at the net, taking advantage of, of the space that Medvedev was leaving. But Medvedev was serving really well. I mean, he was, he was throwing in some double faults, but he was protecting his serve much better. He suddenly found the serve that I've been talking about all, all summer. hasn't been there. It was there today, and it was putting Alcaraz under threat. And sort of as the match went on, Medvedev was completely locked in in the baseline rallies, not missing, wasn't even thinking about the possibility of him missing. And Alcaraz, I felt, came to actually have to rely a bit on the serve volley. You know, he was he was needing that to be working, and Medvedev was growing wise to that as well. And some of the dipping returns that Medvedev was hitting from way out wide, he would he would get it right down at Alcaraz's feet and either hit a clean winner or then win it a couple of shots later. It was brilliant returning as well from Medvedev as, as the match went on. So suddenly this this match, which which tactically has always looked so good for Alcaraz, suddenly it looked like, well, he's really struggling to actually find ways to win points. And I think that's partly because, as you said, Alcaraz didn't quite have his game. He couldn't quite trust it, perhaps. But also just immense credit to Medvedev for playing at such a high level for so long yeah nine aces for Medvedev there were 10 double faults as well which I know doesn't sound great in terms of ratios but that was a calculated risk that he was taking that the, the 10 double faults if you like were priced in because he was for a lot of that match hitting two first serves instead of a first and a second serve his his second serves were frequently in the 120s so um yeah, I, I think that's great tactics. I often, when I'm watching a match and seeing a, a player get killed on the second serve, I often think, why does it not occur to players more to just go for two first serves? Sometimes the, the, the data, the numbers on that work out, and I feel like Medvedev is doing those calculations in his mind in a way that other players aren't. Whereas Alcaraz got not a single ace. I mean, in terms of the number of free points they were getting, it was... Chalk and cheese, Alcaraz was having to work so, so hard to hold his serve. And so often Medvedev was just rolling through service games in the blink of an eye. He plays so goddamn quick. Um, And generally, I I love that about him. I love players that play quick. God bless the big three. Well, actually, big two, really. I'm going to take Federer out of this. He played pretty quick. God bless... Nadal and Djokovic but the absolute worst thing about them is is what they've done in terms of dragging out the the time between points and the time between serves and all of that I I, I find it very seductive when players play quickly um uh but there I mean there were there were moments in the match it was almost a joke how quickly he was playing such that it had to have been a tactic Right? Yeah, suck the life out of it by yeah. just r- racing through points. Don't let the crowd get involved because <laughs> as much as possible anyway. What do we think of the crowd tonight? I thought it was fine. I thought it was rowdy in there. It was Friday night in the biggest tennis stadium in the world, in the loudest city in the world, and they wanted Carlos Alcaraz to win. Um, but And I'm, I'm sure that was hard for Daniel Medvedev. But I thought it was, by and large, the right side of the line. Yeah, I, I thought so. I mean, and I think Medvedev did until the final game where, quote, a thousand Spanish guys started screaming, <laughs> it didn't help, they can go to sleep now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was really the only moment of the match where I thought, OK, this, this is maybe getting a little bit out of hand. There was, there was a lot of noise. It felt like during the rallies, it felt like between first and second serve. But... Mainly, people were just into it. I think I, I don't. I didn't feel like it was really outrageously bad crowd behavior, or like it was massively affecting the players. Uh, it was. Nah, it people, was a big moment. People, people were, were just excited, they and they wanted excited. the comeback. They love Alcaraz, and he was two sets to love down, and the comeback is on. You know, mm. there was a moment he Catherine went out to get us some drinks and and a pretzel and there were massive queues because you said that they're all stocking up for five sets here. they were fueling for five sets yeah. this was I went out at 2-1 in the third set so 
Akaraz hasn't even broken serve yeah. at this point. I missed that. You the missed pre- the best game. In the pretzel queue. <laughs> um, but it felt like everybody there was, yeah, getting their supplies in for a five-setter. Maybe they've heard us on the podcast talking about the importance of strategic snacking during a best-of-five set mm-hmm. match. And I applaud them. But um, Would you like us to tell you about the game? Because <laughs> it was very Go on, good. Then. It was It was incredible. I mean, the, the thing is... He, Medvedev's level did not dip in that game. He was brilliant still. And at 30 all, having been skewered a couple of times with passing shots, he then knocked down an ace to go 40 30. And you're just thinking, here we go again. He's just, he's just sucking the life out of the match. And what a great tactic if an achievement from him by doing that. And he started trying to do the same again. And Alcaraz stayed with him and then just started to turn on the magic. Didn't he? There was a, there were passing shots. There was, there was the bringing him in, and then there was the lob. It just didn't matter what Medvedev did. Alcaraz had the talent to provide an answer, and the problem is he could only do that in a small pocket of the match, if, uh, two or three pockets of the match when he exerted pressure because he won that third set. He then had break points, didn't he, in the third game of the fourth set, and. The moment he didn't take them, you just felt that Medvedev's level is not dipping enough to get away with this. Mm. Yeah, it was such a good performance from Medvedev. There was there was a moment when Alcaraz won that third set. I, you know, I think we all started having little flashbacks to the when Medvedev lost from two sets up to Rafael Nadal at, in the Australian Open. Not that the match was similar because I don't I really don't think it was but just you know the circumstance was okay is Medvedev going to lose from two sets up again and I don't think Medvedev has been quite the same since that loss to Rafa Nadal in Australia I mean all of last season after that he was not not really himself there was potentially lots of other reasons for that you know his his hernia operation the war he became a father. You know, there was lots of stuff going on outside his tennis. It's tough to know, you know, how much, how much of his dip in form was caused by that loss. But for sure, there was a hangover there. And he came back to Australia this year, didn't he? And he said, "I needed to get over Australia by coming back here." And then this season, he'd been good on hard courts through the spring, but hadn't been performing that well in the slams and got rolled by Alcaraz at Wimbledon. And so I think that's exactly why, you know, the sort of Medvedev performance that we would compare this to would be the one here two years ago we haven't seen this Medvedev for two years really and I was just thinking during this match it's kind of important that he that he wins this from this position because we've seen we've seen what happens when he doesn't close a big match from a winning position it did seem to affect him for a while so so much credit that he did manage to to close that because Carlos Alcaraz coming at you as he was is a Force and he did so well to just hold it off. Look, I was thinking about that Melbourne match a lot uh, in the early stages of that fourth set, and I was wondering a lot about how much Daniel Medvedev was thinking about it and wondering how on earth he could not be thinking about it. I mean, that is deep, deep sporting trauma that was inflicted on him that day. Um, and Okay, the actual match in terms of patterns and forehands and backhands was very different, but it felt similar to me sitting in that stadium. We were in the stadium for for both of those matches and the energy felt extremely similar. And I was was having flash forwards to being sat in the press conference room with Medvedev delivering a soul-crushing monologue about his inner child dying at the hands of the New York crowd. And I was I was sort of preemptively worried for him. Um, and I, I think, look, he's impressed right now. Maybe he'll say, no, nah, that didn't occur to me at all. But it's in his bones, isn't it? I don't see how losing a, a Grand Slam final from two sets to love up can't sort of alter your sporting DNA. So even if it wasn't on his mind... I think it's a 
additionally tremendous achievement that he stopped the famous Carlos Alcaraz in his comeback tracks today. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and because the crowd is such a factor, because it's like Alcaraz and crowds work together. <laughs> they 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 get each other going, and mm-hmm, and he's yeah. he's so magnetic when when because of the way he he connects with a crowd as well as anybody I've ever seen, and uh, and it it just wins you over. Um, so yeah, gotta hand it to you, Daniel. You deserve that one hundred percent. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was it was thrilling tennis. If he'd yeah. done that against anyone else except Carlos Alcaraz, we'd be. I feel so guilty that we have a slight feeling of deflation. And it's nothing to do with Daniel Medvedev. We make no secret of how much we like Daniel Medvedev and how much better a tournament feels for having him in it on the court and in the press conference room. But it just feels like Carlos Alcaraz is the magic sprinkles in men's tennis as is the rivalry that we were waiting for in the final which we've been building up to for weeks exactly yeah and and honestly i'm i'm not as deflated as i thought i would be (laughs) if 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 you'd said you know it's going to be a bit of a dud of a men's tournament and you're not going to get carlos alcaraz now at djokovic in the final i thought for god's (laughs) sake and it has been a bit of a dud of a men's tournament and we're not getting alcaraz djokovic in the tournament but actually Medvedev was so good tonight, it was such an incredible performance. And we've got a guy who I feel like we've still got a really good final. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like it's not like we're now going into the final where it's like, oh, well, they've got no chance against Novak Djokovic. He has beaten Novak Djokovic in this very match, other occasions too. And he's a, he's a real problem for Novak Djokovic at times. So it, it's not as thrilling it's not as sort of um sort of historically interesting i suppose those that intersection of generations but it's still a a really interesting final i think does the us open have a rivalry curse <laughs> yes That's the yeah, big question yes it does yes um because rafael nadal and roger federer spent how long were playing together 18 years on the circuit together, having amazing matches everywhere in the world, except one Grand Slam tournament that they both played the vast majority of years. The fact that they never played each other in all those years, when they were so often one match away, mm. was extraordinary. And we and I don't know, we would la- we were laughing about it yesterday. Oh, just imagine if uh, if they don't end up playing each other now, <laughs> you know. And it, even when Djokovic has won, it but it just sort of felt like that. That, that could happen because of this place. Um, and uh, and the, the, the truth is, this isn't a 15-year rivalry that we're looking at right now. It's, we don't know. I mean, Djokovic still looks amazing, as good as ever. But even he said in his press conference, you know, <laughs> I mean, when I start losing to people early earlier rounds that, that I wouldn't have done in the past, that's when I'll call it a day. So it's not going to be that many years, is it? Mm. So, yeah, it's got a rivalry problem. <laughs> sort yourselves out, Big Apple. All right? Yeah, Matt said before this tournament, there's one match I want to see in the men's, and it's not happening. Just pack up your bags and go home after the women's final. two Matt. weeks getting ready, and we are, we're one match away. <laughs> um, that is a very Medvedev trolley move, Oh, it's though, perfect. Isn't it? That's what he said it in the plumbing press conference on the, uh, in the previous press. being a disruptor. Mm. It's and perfect. He, and he actually, he was saying how much... He was quite happy to be vocal. They're the favourites, but I quite like the idea of being mm. a disruptor. You know, mm. you could see he, he's, he's loving this. And it's pressure's off. He is playing well again. I mean, and he's really... I mean, that, that was as well as he can play today. He was fantastic. We've rather given the game away about who won the other... Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I assume people knew that. (laughs) Uh, We're going to talk about Novak Djokovic in just a moment, but first I am going to remind you that we are brought to you this fortnight in partnership with AO Travel. They, if you don't already know, operate the travel program for the Australian Open in Melbourne in January. They take care of your flights, premium accommodation, tickets to the event, behind the scenes experiences, and of course, as we've been telling you, 
Those experiences include the all-new AO Travel Lounge at Overlooks Rod Laver Arena, Grand Slam Oval, and that is exclusively available to AO Travel guests. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that there's an air-conditioned area in there, David. Uh, which, I, th- I think the chances are good. Mm, which <laughs> seems to have thought of everything else. Honestly, my my kingdom for an air-conditioned lounge at some of these some of these tennis tournaments. So to celebrate the launch of the AO, AO Travel Lounge for 2024. A lucky tennis podcast listener is going to win big. They'll win an AO Travel premium lounge package for themselves and a friend to the Australian Open this January. You'll go in style. You get two uh, return flights, economy to Melbourne, tickets to the Rod Laver Arena over the middle weekend of the Open for two people, three nights accommodation at the five-star Pullman on the Park Hotel in Melbourne, as well as two-day access to the aforementioned AO Travel Lounge. The way to enter the prize draw is to click on the link provided in your show notes you have until Monday the 18th of September at 11.59pm New York time to enter. Terms and conditions do apply. Very best of luck. Now then, Novak Djokovic beat Ben Shelton 6-3-6-2-7-6 in the first semi-final of the day today. This match felt similar to me to the Goff-Mukova match of last night in that there were extremely uncompetitive, quite flat periods of it, but I probably won't rec- remember any of those. I will I'll remember the end, and the end was brilliant. I actually described it as life-affirming to Hannah um, earlier on today. She sent us a, a, a text saying, can somebody describe what it was like t- to to be in the stadium as Ben Shelton was making his mini comeback at the end of the third set? And I said, it was life-affirming because for a moment there, that's exactly how it felt. And why is that? Because I, mean, I, I was watching that element by that time on a monitor because I'd been called away. I was devastated he'd just gone five four up i was watching you guys and then i had to to go down to do some reports on the radio and the place was jumping at that time but then i mean it just seemed to get more and more dramatic well it's very similar to what you said about alcaraz and the crowd sort of being a team i felt like the new york crowd and ben shelton work as a team Hmm. when it's firing you know which it was well Look, more to do with Novak Djokovic than Ben Shelton, but but when he had a little spell like he did in that third set, it makes you feel alive. You feel a jolt of electricity yeah. go through your body. It's like it made me think of when I interviewed him on the eve of Queens this year, and that was a very low key thing at the time. He had done nothing since the Australian Open at that point, and he didn't feel like a contender for the title. But it was his first time playing at Queens. We were interviewing anybody that was brought to us and you could tell when he sat down, it was a conveyor belt of tennis players and I can't remember exactly who else was there at the time, but you could tell that everybody just wanted to be in his orbit, that they just wanted a bit of the Ben Shelton energy to rub off on them. And that's how I felt today. I felt like he's so good at transmitting his energy to a crowd that it feels like a little bit of it is rubbing off on you and even a little bit of it is completely intoxicating. Mm. And yet someone who I don't think loves Ben Shelton's energy is Novak Djokovic. So glad you took us there, Matt. <laughs> nice and early. Let's well, get to the good stuff. Well, I mean, honestly, I, I, I noticed when, when Novak Djokovic won the first set and it was a completely unremarkable first set I enjoyed the way Shelton came out straight away like the 138 mile an hour second serve at the body <laughs> uh, followed by a little spin of the racket on the hand yeah I like that one too it was it was <laughs> like that is what you need to do you are not going to be able to keep that up <laughs> I know that I think probably you know that deep down but Novak Djokovic definitely knows that and sure enough you know, after a couple of games, Shelton plays a really loose service game. Novak Djokovic breaks and he, you know, we're just dealing with a difference in experience, which I realised was 
was so stark that Novak Djokovic had played more Grand Slam semi-finals than Ben Shelton has played ATP matches. And Ben Shelton... Ben and Shelton, that's not Matt Stan. <laughs> ben Shelton has a losing record in ATP matches, and obviously Novak Djokovic has an incredible winning record in Grand Slam semi-finals. Like... <laughs> it couldn't have been more different and Djokovic was so comfortable and yet at the end of that first set he roared in the direction of Ben Shelton and Ben Shelton's team and which is the extremely wholesome Shelton family mostly <laughs> yeah and so I thought oh okay that's that's maybe Matt something. It. it was on Agro Watch. I was sitting there thinking, how could he not love this guy? And Matt was <laughs> like, I'm looking out for something here. And, and I have heard a bit of chatter that, you know, as, as, as popular as Ben Shelton is, I think, in terms of people's personal interactions with him, I don't think the way he behaves on court always goes down that well with his opponents because, you know, he's... He's very in your face, and you, and his celebrations are big at not big moments necessarily, and that that might be annoying for opponents. I love it as a as a spectator. I love the energy he brings, but I do think it perhaps rubs opponents up the wrong way a little bit. And clearly, Novak Djokovic was a little bit. I don't want to say necessarily annoyed at Shelton, but he was just he was just sort of out to. Out to put him in his place a little bit, I think, right from from the start of the match. And in that third set, Djokovic is absolutely cruising to a straight sets win. It doesn't look like there's any jeopardy at all. But then Shelton has this this comeback that you've talked about and even has a set point. And it was quite a long rally and he missed a forehand up the line. And Djokovic, it was sort of classic Djokovic in that he was brilliant at getting himself out of the holes... But it was weird, Djokovic, in that he was putting himself in the holes in the first place. He, a lot of errors. A lot of errors. He lost his game. Shelton was sort of started to slow ball him. And Djokovic was just unable to... He didn't really know what to do. He sort of started missing his forehand a lot. And it, it became such a, like, through-the-looking-glass match for a short period. Ben Shelton's slow balling and Novak Djokovic is just coughing up unforced errors. Yeah. So bizarre. He was winning, when they showed the stat of winning the long rallies beyond a certain number of shots, Shelton was winning quite a lot more of them Mm. than Djokovic was. And I think, I think Djokovic said in his press conference that it was just tension in that, in that final set. And, you know, just an important reminder that even, even with 23 slam titles, he, he gets tense um, so yeah, there was this, there was this slightly tense atmosphere between them. I felt throughout the whole match, not like nothing major. I never felt like they were going to sort of come to blows or anything, you know. But it was just a, a slightly simmering tension. And then, oh, I love how you've built this up. <laughs> this is the please build, describe. This is the build-up it deserved. No, 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 no. You, you must, you must continue, Matt. You, <laughs> Well, doing it justice. Well, on uh, you know, so it goes to a tie break. Novak Djokovic wins the tie break, of course, because it's Novak Djokovic. And then he does Ben Shelton's celebration, which he's been doing all tournament, which is that sort of dialed in, you know, sort of making a phone with his fingers and then slamming it down as though he's hanging up the phone, hanging up the landline. He's been doing it all tournament. Like it's the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was great. (laughs) And Novak Djokovic did that celebration. And I loved it. (laughs) That is what I'm looking for. Matt and I lost our minds (laughs) when that happened. And Shelton, look, he denies that he saw it on the court. He says he said impressed that I've seen it now back on Twitter or TikTok or whatever, but I didn't see it happen live. I don't believe him because we've all seen the stare <laughs> the that he gave stare. Novak Djokovic at the net. I've I've looked at that hand. I've looked at a still of that handshake for yeah, I mean that, quite a long time. This that afternoon. is one of the most intense mm. handshakes and stares. That was like looking at 
two boxers about to uh, at the weigh-in. You know, mm. they are eyeballing each other at point-blank range. And that was genuinely stressful, like <laughs> tense, in a, in a good way. I mean, I, I loved that. Um, but I, I agree with you. I mean, there, there was a lot of people talking about whether... Novak Djokovic, who's won all of these Grand Slams and who's 36 years old, should be doing this with a young lad. If, you know, is, the re- is it really necessary? Is it, is it the sort of thing that, you know, isn't he above all that? And I'm thinking, maybe it isn't necessary, but it's bloody funny. <laughs> and, 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 and if it's wound him up, great. Mm. I, I've, I've had my fill over the last 15 years of Novak Djokovic hugging these opponents and them hugging him back and telling him they've, well, they've played well and them saying, oh, it was an honour to share the court with you and all this. Very nice. All of that's lovely. But give me the real thing, mm. please. And this was the real thing. These two wanted to beat each other into the dirt uh, on that court and Djokovic is the man who won and he won handily and, he, and he's fed up I reckon of Ben Shelton um, having the show and and doing for whatever reason this celebration. I, I mean, it was very funny when we asked when he was asked about the celebration and why he did it. He said, "He said I like that celebration, so I thought I'd impersonate it." <laughs> and and I really wish I'd been given a chance to do a follow up question because I just wanted to push that because that's clearly not true. You know, no, no, he said it with a broad grin. He yeah. was smiling Knowing. through it, wasn't yeah. he? I just, I, I like him owning the, the kind of not the villain as such, but the pantomime villain, the heel in wrestling, mm. as they used to call it. Not just not putting some gloss on how you're feeling. These twenty three and a half thousand people are in your face for hours. And Shelton's whipping them up, and they have every right to do it. Shelton's to every right to do it, and you've got every right to give it them back. And I have no problem with that at all. And I loved the handshake. And I loved everything about mm. it. And I can't wait for them to play again. It was <laughs> right in the sweet spot, wasn't oh. it? It was. And but I also equally loved how grown up Ben Shelton was about it in. Impress. He really took the high road, didn't he? He had a steely look in his eye. Like, we know how he felt about that. But he said, as a kid, I learned that imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. <laughs> so that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> it was a great line. Um, and it does make you feel as though he's the sort of lad who at the moment, isn't of the view that Novak Djokovic is completely untouchable and always will be. He carries himself as if, and we heard it from Brian in last night's interview, doesn't put limits on himself. Just thinks, well, I'm going to grow and I'm going to get stronger and bigger and my technique will get better and I'll eventually beat these guys. Mm. And he even applies that, not not in as many words, but I, I mean, I, I see no reason why he wouldn't be feeling that about Djokovic, Alcaraz, and all the rest. Yeah, I mean, that third set made me think back to the discussion we had after the Djokovic-Fritz match the other day, where, you know, I think we all concluded Fritz doesn't have the level to beat Novak Djokovic over five sets if if Djokovic is playing anywhere close to his best. He, he just doesn't. And nor does Ben Shelton yet at this stage in his career with him still being so raw. But Fritz got down on himself quite early in that match and Ben Shelton didn't. He, he, okay, there were maybe little periods where he wasn't quite himself, but the way he fired himself up in that third set and did genuinely seem to keep believing, I thought was really... Admirable, and, and maybe that was what you know slightly pissed Djokovic off, perhaps. But you know, again, maybe easier for Ben Shelton to do it first time he's playing Novak Djokovic. Come back when you've already lost to him seven or eight times, as as Taylor Fritz has, and that baggage has built up. But I was impressed with that with that attitude from from Ben Shelton today in that third set. But yeah, I mean, just just to go back to the. Go back to the celebration. That is the version of Novak Djokovic I love the most. And we saw it a lot at Wimbledon, didn't we? Where he mm. was 
you know doing the crying doing the crying to the crowd and he was really again embracing being the heel I, I, I think I think we're seeing a bit more of that now after years of him being kind of inauthentic really mm. with crowds and I understood why you know people want to be liked he was desperate to be liked but this is the real Novak Djokovic and I, I find it much easier to sort of get behind really mm. I love that Shelton was prepared to piss Djokovic off just be himself regardless of whether it pissed him off and I love that Djokovic was prepared to show us that it pissed him off mm. yeah and, the, and to give it back yeah. yeah it was great it was it was fantastic mm. and we do have a fantastic final to look forward to it's just we it's just taking a bit of adjustment isn't it because give us 24 hours yeah <laughs> and and again i go back to something we said pre-tournament i wonder i wonder how much of an adjustment this will be for novak Djokovic. Mm. you know we've we've spoken about how defined he feels now by that rivalry with alcaraz I think he would have been expecting to play Carlos Alcaraz in in the final. Now suddenly he's got to play Daniil Medvedev. He knows that challenge as well, so I'm sure he'll be prepared for it. But he was flat against Medvedev two years ago, and I think that was because of just mentally exhausted. I think yeah, he, he was also trying gave, to go for the calendar he, he slam. He did say he was kind of overwhelmed. He, let, he was anxious. It, yeah. it got to him. Um, that's not on the line here. Exactly. But I think it will affect his preparation for this. I think he'll be hyper-tuned in mm. not to have that make him end up coming out flat because chances are Medvedev's going to bring it um, and and he's going to need to be ready. Mm. So, it, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Just one one stat that I thought was interesting today that came up. This is now the third time in his career for Djokovic that he's made the final of all four slams in the same season, which equals uh, Federer, who also did it three times. But what I find so interesting is that Federer's were all, well, mostly towards the start of his mm. career. You know, 2006, 2007 and 2009, he did it. Djokovic has done it. 2015, obviously his his best season, maybe the best season men's tennis has seen. And then... 2021 and 2023 like the last like two of the last three years in his deep 30s, into his 30s he's got he's got better at playing slams as he's got older in Unreal. terms of his consistency and just how hard he is to beat and some of that is some of his biggest rivals and not what they were and he's kept going but it just feels like he's figured this this out completely how to play best of five I realise that's not a new point that I'm making but it um, a sort of stat like that really underlines it. It, I it think. is about the rivals thing, but it's also about scaring off all these young pretenders. Mm-hmm. You know, how many of them has he just put fear into their eyes? We've got generation after generation of yeah, lost boys, <laughs> lost boys, exactly. And I just that there's there's hope for Shelton that he won't become that. Like, I want him to keep being in Djokovic's face, doing that celebration, even though Djokovic has done it back to him. You know, I just... Mm. Don't don't be cowed by it. You've got to keep being in his face and he's going to keep giving it back to you. And that's... It. Everything about this is fine. Everybody just keep being themselves <laughs> and we'll keep enjoying it. Great. Yeah, he, he just has a lot of improving to do if he's going to actually... I mean, obviously, Djokovic may come back to the group with the, with, with the age but uh, I mean he was really error strewn in the first couple of sets uh, and, and I think there are some technical things overall but he, he spoke in his press conference about having been satisfied generally with his rally tolerance I think particularly into the third set and it was impressive actually he was rallying with Novak Djokovic and he was winning a lot of them so yeah I mean there's a I think the thing is, because of what happened in Australia and a great run to the quarterfinals, I just didn't think he would get this good this quickly. So I am very interested to see what another year will bring, how, how much more he can improve. Mm. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right, we're going to look ahead to tomorrow's women's singles final in just a moment. Firstly, I will take you through some other significant results that we had today at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre. Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury won the men's doubles title, beating Matt Ebden and Rohan Bapana 2-6-6-3-6-4 in the final. This is a three-peat for Ram and Salisbury, which is quite extraordinary actually because doubles can be pretty random you know yeah. the, there's there's there can be not a lot of consistency in the doubles game so for them to win three back to back first here one in, in more than 100 years is unreal i think for yeah. them because uh, i mean like you say they, oh, they often don't stay together very long and they've yeah. had a terrible year Salisbury and Ram. they were so down about their results and they came in without much confidence i commentated on this this final and uh at the end i mean honestly they lost the first set 6-2 and they were broken in the very first game they were very nearly double broken and they, and they were they were not good and and ebden and bopana were fantastic i mean bopana's 43 years and six months old now he's the oldest bloke ever to reach one of these finals um and when I came back for the, for the for the third set, I really couldn't believe that there was going to be one. Um, and I commentated on that as well. And they just turned it around. They just stuck at it. And then they were so emotional afterwards that Joe Salisbury was sobbing into his towel. He said, I've never been like that, winning one of these before. But I think it's just the build-up, mm. the doubt. They've been really doubting themselves. Um, and, you know, to... to to get the, uh, that that line as well, to have not the first team to have won three in a row men, in men's tennis at the U.S. Open in uh, more than a hundred years. I mean, I think that really hit Rajiv Ram. He said, "I'm really a, a tennis junkie for his, history and things like that." So uh, that really means something. Yeah, really cool. Nice insight. Thanks, David. And by the way, there was an incredible piece of sportsmanship. I don't know whether you whether you heard mm. about that. Absolutely astonishing that uh, right in the most important part of the match, Matt Ebden, who's at the baseline, swipes a forehand winner cross court, and everybody returns to the spot and they're about to carry on. And then Rohan Bapana goes up to the umpire and says, That passing shot just touched my arm as it was going past. And he called the point on himself and gave it to the opponents who, who were in shock. They didn't, What are you saying? 
and 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 then they they just got the whole crowd, the, the Salisbury and Ram, to applaud them. It was it was an amazing moment. Yeah, love to see that. Love it. Uh, the women's doubles final will be contested by Vera Zvonareva, Matt. I told you. <laughs> you did. <laughs> he said Vera Zvonareva is going to win the US Open, and it could still be true. Wow. With partner Laura Siegman, they will take on Gabby Dabrowski and Erin Routliff. Uh, Zvonareva and Siegman today beat Jen Brady and what a player, Luisa Stefani, 6 4 6 1. Good run, though. <laughs> and uh, Dabrowski and Routliff beat uh, Shea Su Wei and... No, no. No, go on, go on. And Wong Jin Yu, 6176. Mm. Yeah, I was just going to make a point that I really think Dabrowski's good. She might be my water player. <laughs> <laughs> or my Tim Putts. You, you've already got Nicholas Jarry. <laughs> Yeah, but he needs a doubles one. I need a doubles one. player. We all need a doubles one. Yeah. Mine's, is mine's, mine Tim Putz? I think it is, mine's right? Lewis, he is Lewis good. He is good. And I think Dabrowski's really really great. Good. Whenever I watch her, she, I always think she can make a difference they, on a doubles They're court. the ones who won against Townsend and Fernandez the other day, right? Yes. And, that, and they were dramatically good. Yeah. And, and beating Shea and Wong was, was mm. impressive. I mean, they'd yeah. won, I think, well, Shea had won... 16 straight matches in, in majors this year, having won um, the French and Wimbledon and, and through to the semis here. Uh, Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid will contest the men's wheelchair singles final. Hewitt is the defending champion. He's going for a fourth US Open title. Gordon Reid going for a first US Open title in singles. This one and the French Open are both missing from his trophy cabinet. So... That'll be interesting. The women's wheelchair final will be between Yui Kamiji and I'm going to have to do a check here because at the time I wrote the agenda, her opponent was not yet known and it still might not be known. But I can confirm that Yui Kamiji is in that final. Dida de Hout. Of course it's Dida de Hout. Sorry, folks. I could have, I could have guessed that. <laughs> if in doubt, it's Dida de Root. Uh, Kamiji uh, is going for a third US Open singles title and a first since 2017. Wow. Mm. Uh, the men's quad wheelchair singles final will be contested by the world numbers one and two, Niels Vink and Sam Schroeder. Vink is the defending champion. He's 20 years old and he's already going for a second U.S. Open singles title. Sam Schroeder also going for a second U.S. Open title. His last one was in 2020. So all of those finals to look forward to over the weekend. What's going to happen between Coco Goff and Arena Sabalenka? Wrong answers only, as always. Oh, well, I'd better go then. <laughs> Off you go, Matt. <laughs> oh. I think I'm going to pick Arena Sabalenka in the newsletter. And that's been going well. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> congratulations, Coco Goff. <laughs> I mean, it's tricky. It's it's one of those matches where the head-to-head doesn't feel that relevant to me. I mean, it's. Uh, I think they've played five times. There are quite a lot of matches that they've played, but... Goff is a different player on this on this run right now, and Sabalenka is a is a different player compared to a lot of their previous meetings. Um, they've had a couple of seven sixes in the third. There's been a six four in the third, so their matches have been very very close, uh, which I probably do expect again. I just I think it will be will be tight. Sabalenka's played a lot of hitters this tournament. You know, Junction Wen, Madison Keys. Okay, she played Kasatkina, but Kasatkina doesn't have the movement or either the weapons of Coco Goff. And I just, I just think Goff will be able to extend rallies in a way that a lot of Sabalenka's opponents haven't. But, and this may be a complete oversimplification, but I almost feel like every match is on Narina Sabalenka's racket with her power, her game, her ability. And she played so well in that Australian Open final that I don't 
quite have the same doubts about her in the final that I had in the semi-final, which again, maybe that sounds weird as well. No, well, it doesn't, given the history. Right. Because, I mean, the... I think she's going to play well, and I didn't know whether she would play well at all in, in the semi-final, but I think she will, and I think her best is is so good and maybe a little bit better than Coco Goff right now. So that's that's all my reasoning and my logic, um, but very, very, very tough to call. One of the most interesting finals in a long time. I yeah. think it's a dream final. Great really. final on paper, that. Yeah, I think it is pretty much the dream final. You know, top American. Against the world number one. Against the world number one. And the crowd will know exactly who they want to win. It'll be, it's perfect on paper. I, ho- I hope it, I hope it's a great match. It, it deserves it. Um, I am not going to be going for Arena Sabalenka. Um, I'm going to decide overnight as to how David many no. sets uh, okay. but, but I am okay. going to go for Coco Golf um, <laughs> uh, <a> flipping tease <laughs> um, too late to be that annoying David <laughs> um, you've been nice to me the last very nice to me the last 24 hours yeah, don't so. ruin it <laughs> um, but I, I just feel like we're going to get a lot of loopy forehands from Coco Goff, and I think they're going to drive Arena Sabalenka around the bend. I really do. And she's got the movement then to track down mm. these bullet ground strokes that, that Sabalenka throws at her. And then I think she'll diffuse with this loop forehand. I just think it's become such a clever tactic down the line with that shot. Um, yeah, I, I think it's Goff's. I think I'm going to go for Goff. Well, you you went with Goff from the start of the tournament. Mm. Not confidently, though. <laughs> Don't ruin it, Catherine. You, you, I mean, honestly, we think it's amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a I was a Carlos Alcaraz away from having a full set of finalists. Thank you, Carlos or Carlos. Carlos. Carlos is, they've He's... been introducing him. Maybe it's for the best he didn't win because you you can't introduce your winner as Carlos Alcaraz. <laughs> That would have been that would have been a tough scene. I'm sure they weren't doing that last year. They weren't. No, What's everyone's happened? overthinking everyone's it. Everyone's gone mad about everyone's it. Overthinking <laughs> everyone's overthinking this it. Yes, business. Um, right, that's your lot so, for today, folks. Sorry, no, was, Matt's got more. I was just going to say there was something that amused me in the uh, transcript of the Goff press conference after her semi-final because she did her press conference during the Keyes-Sabalenka semi-final and clearly she did it right when it looked like Madison Keyes was going to win so I really feel for all the all the sort of journalists who have to write preview articles with quotes because there are no quotes about what Coco Goff <laughs> thinks of Arena Sabalenka in the final they were you know it was all about Madison Keyes because it looked oh, like Madison Keyes was going to win Madison Keyes press at the time we recorded last night we we hadn't seen that press conference and it was a it was a tough scene. We perhaps underestimated exactly how emotional she was going to be. Yeah, I, I, d- I did. Uh, I thought she would be philosophical and, and maybe with some time she will be. And she certainly tweeted that she, she knows deep down she, she's got a lot to be proud of. And I think she has. Mm. But, yeah, that was a crushing press conference and seeing her, I've never seen her that upset before um, and I felt I feel for her mm, same wishing you well Madison Keys. we'll be back tomorrow folks we've got two more tennis podcasts to come from this US Open plus the Bocco that, that comes your way post Grand Slam our review show our Q&A show they're coming up for Friends of the Tennis Podcast we're going to record them while we're still in New York before we head to the MetLife Stadium to watch the Jets against the Bills I'm all over it guys I'm all <laughs> over the Check NFL you out. Check me out um, I feel like Catherine does the NFL could be a sort of new Carl Pilkington style <laughs> series um, we have our lovely mascot Willow for another few days hello to Willow hello Willow you are lovely we have our mascots I've got Xenia we scored not many points but points are points Xenia we're in the game 
You're doing very well. Mm. Maisie, we were a set point for Ben Shelton away from getting points, and we didn't. So Ben Shelton needs to book his ideas up for next time. <laughs> Darwin, we were nowhere near, but you know that. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. As you all know, we have top folks and executive producers on three, everyone. Jamie. Hannah. Hannah. I didn't say one, two, three. Oh, dear. <laughs> Three, two, one. Jamie, Jamie Hannah, and Drew. Hello to you all. And we have shout outs. We have James Lin, who says, My life journey, born in Taiwan, raised in Lexington, Massachusetts, matured in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and now raising a family in Rye, New York. Oh. Wow. What a cool life. Mm. Where do I went? Ann Ar- there's a there's a university in Ann Arbor, isn't there? Maybe no. Very possibly Lexington. Um, well, this is a different Lexington to the. When you say Lexington, I think of Lexington, Kentucky. Of I think of Serena Williams and Venus Williams playing, playing in a car, car park. park of COVID comeback tournament fame. That we where we. We thought that was the best thing that had ever happened at the time. Like, (laughs) oh my God, professional sport is happening. This is so exciting. You look back now and it's utterly dystopian. Where I discovered Jennifer Brady. That's what I was going to say, yeah. I think it's where the world discovered Jennifer Brady. (laughs) Marie Buzkova won the title. Or certainly in the final. Didn't Jennifer Brady win it? Yeah, you're right. It was a Buzkova-Brady final. There you go. And that was where Venus Williams tonked Victoria Azarenka and we were like, Azarenka's over, isn't she? Time for her to retire. And then she reached the US Open final. (laughs) Um, So... Thanks, James. Thanks, James. (laughs) For being a friend of the tennis podcast. Thank you. (laughs) James Blake. Yes. Yes. Well done. We've also got Eleanor Hawkins in Toronto or Toronto. Toronto. Right. Hello, um, Eleanor. They don't say it like that, though, do they? They do. Do they? There's a man that's never watched Argo. Correct. <laughs> Great film. Okay. We'll add it to the list. Like Eleanor <laughs> Oldroyd? That's a radio person. <laughs> a very nice one but and a very good one. Sometimes it's in Wimbledon. It's tenuous, but it <laughs> Okay. It Eleanor Crooks. Eleanor Crooks from Press Association, <laughs> who is a tennis correspondent. Do we have any players? I've, I've played tennis with Eleanor Crooks. Oh, well, there we are. How did you get on? She's a good player, isn't she? She's a good player, especially on uh, your favourite surface, David, AstroTurf. Oh, well, I mean, I'm unbeatable on that. Mm. Well, Eleanor would beat you. <laughs> Do you want to test thank, that out? Thank you, Eleanor. <laughs> wasn't expecting to be deep diving on Eleanor Crooks' game. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have Chris Marty from San Francisco. Chris says, whenever I face a difficult decision, I think to myself, what would those on the boat do? And then I have my answer. I'm always striving to get on the boat. Oh. Chris, tell us more about yourself and I will submit your application to <laughs> my dad and he'll let you know. Chris is a massive Caroline Wozniacki fan. Do we think Caroline Wozniacki is on I the boat? I don't think Caroline Wozniacki mm. is on the boat. I, I, I'll wake up to a text tomorrow to confirm, uh, but I would be surprised. I did have some on the boat updates this tournament. Oh, yeah. Uh, and if anybody wants to know the criteria for being on the boat, um, just generally speaking, there is a tennis podcast terminology section of the tennis podcast website. So go to tennispodcast.net, um, go to the about section, and click on the uh, terminology page. And yeah, just just keep you keep can, talking, you, you David. Can, you keep promoing things you, while I just get up the WhatsApp chat with my dad. Okay, you can find out how In the Mix came about. You can find out about Pack Hunters uh, uh, from Matt Roberts. You can find out about Mary Carrillo's Three Rules for a great tennis player. You can find out about how Agricultural came about <laughs> and why I used it all that time ago. 
Oh, there's so much good terminology on there from the old tennis podcast days. You can find out when pole vault was invented, when Catherine threatened to stop the podcast forever uh, off the back of it. Um, <laughs> the link to the terminology page is always in our show notes. That's correct. Alongside the New York Times profile and the link to become a friend of the tennis podcast, so you can get all this extra stuff, which uh, which is going to be coming your way next next week. And there are fifty shows in the archive, only available to friends of the tennis podcast, and you can get instant access for them and uh, yeah so sign up and become a friend you've done god's work there david mm. i have now found the whatsapp chat and i c- we can end tonight on some on the boat updates that i i sourced directly from the skipper earlier this S- tournament splendid. i woke up one morning last friday it was to a message that simply said chisels features describes tommy paul <laughs> okay dad on the boat question mark was I that asked. after david had described him as what was it not particularly remarkable to look at. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm into I athlete. don't know whether it was a de- d- direct response. Anyway, he said, yes, he is on the boat, as is Manorino. I believe th- these messages came at the time of Manorino DFO. How on earth has that Manorino got himself on the boat? I did query it, David. I w- there's no need for me to get myself cancelled by reading out the exact... Okay. Exact chain of messages. But he said, Manorino on the boat. Uh, I said, Mukova. He said, on the boat, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would 100% agree with that. I said, Draper. He said, not sure about him, but I think probably yes. Not quite yet, though. (laughs) Why? Bit bit (laughs) immature. No, just you've got to prove, you know, you could serve your time. Right. Okay. Um. I guess Manorino has done that, to be fair. She's certainly done that. <laughs> so, Mukova, Paul, uh, Manorino, on board, Draper, waiting on the dock. Yeah. Okay. Good updates. Thank you, Mr Whitaker. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for <laughs> bearing with these uh, straggly ends to the show. Uh, it's one o'clock in the morning folks we're very grateful to you for listening we've got two more of these to go and we'll speak to you tomorrow even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more plus Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.